Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, we're talking about tetanus in horses. Tetanus is characterized by high case fatality rates in horses globally, but especially so in countries where a vaccination program is not routine. Now, I do have to send a shout out to Rosie Yackel for recommending the book. Uh, It's called The Ride of Her Life by Elizabeth Letts. I highly recommend whether you're a horse person or not, you've got to read this book. It's thoroughly thought provoking and Uh, Through it all, it just says, follow your dreams, no matter how difficult they seem. Um, Rosie recommended the book, but she also, because she really wanted me to read it, she made sure I got a copy. So then I didn't have an excuse not to read it. And I'm so glad she was so persuasive because in the book, tetanus uh, rears its ugly head. So I thought, you know what, it's so preventable if we just stick to a vaccination program and, uh, you know, then you don't have to to worry about it. If your horse gets a wound or is having surgery, um, your vet will make sure that prior to surgery, there's a tetanus booster. And then if you get a wound and even mouth wounds um, can be... Um, have a prevalence of tetanus. So I would highly recommend um, a good vaccination program. And uh, we'll go right in and start talking about the paper, which is called Tetanus in Horses, an overview of 70 cases. It's by Ribeiro et al. This paper I thought was really interesting for a number of reasons, but Um, Tetanus is one of the things that kind of piques my interest because in practice, I only experienced it once, but we did have a foal present with tetanus. And unfortunately, the foal was too far gone for us to be able to do any any kinds of supportive care, any anti-tops. And the kindest thing we could really do at that point was to put it to sleep. But then when I was reading this, I realized how high that mortality rate is. I mean, 72.9% of the horses in this study that had tetanus died, so they didn't survive. And 40% of those had wounds or some surgical procedure was carried out related to how they got the tetanus. In young foals, it's so easy because they've got the umbilical cord. That umbilicus is like an open pathway for the first couple of days directly into their blood system. And this foal, when it presented, unfortunately had severe um, like muscle contraction and um, spasmodic muscles. And I just remember, like you'll never forget the actual imagery of it but it's 
its head was just almost like it was trying to look back at its own tail over its back. Um, such an awful disease. So really vaccination is just such a simple thing and it's so preventable. Um, they do say that horses are covered if they're vaccinated for tetanus, they'll be covered for five years. But then this study was looking at it and it was saying that actually a yearly vaccination is better because it improves the survival rates if they do pick up tetanus. Yeah, there was a recent paper from, uh, and it's Kendall et al., and it was duration of tetanus immunoglobulin G titers following basic immunization of horses. And what it came out is that the immunity uh, of a um, tetanus vaccination is individual. And they found it to be for sure at about three years. Now, that doesn't mean like in this study, they found it to be um, five years. But oh my God, there's nothing better than to be safe. If you're going to over-vaccinate, I think we need to do it for sure with tetanus because um, it, it's such a horrible death and it's a neurotoxic um, bacteria. And I had no idea, Kate, that horses are the most susceptible domestic species to the effects of tetanus toxin. And it's a gram-positive spore and it forms in an anaerobic um, environment. So it's like a puncture wound. And some of these horses, as Kate said, they did not have any wounds. They couldn't figure out where it came from. However, further along in the paper, they suspected mouth sores and maybe mouth injuries. So, um, you know, might not always be apparent that they've had a wound, but um, it's found in the soil. It's also found heavily in horse feces. So I found it interesting that farmed areas that were routinely plowed had more Clostridium tetani bacteria is in also warmer temperatures, higher humidity, and pH soils that were more neutral. But in this particular study, there was really not a significant difference between seasons, which surprised me, because what they did is it's a retrospective study. So they went back through medical files and um, reviewed the admissions to the hospital. So total admissions were like 1% in the 26 years dealing with tetanus. So it wasn't a large number, but of the cases that were there, that 73% mortality rate, that, that's very telling right there. And the tetanus spores can actually live in the environment for many years. Mm -hmm. Spores are very resistant to and um, being killed, essentially. So your domestic bleaches and things like that do not kill tetanus spores. The only way to really protect your horse is to vaccinate them. And, you know, as Nancy highlighted again, it was 30 of the 70 horses that were admitted to hospital that had no visible wounds, no previous surgical procedures. And they hypothesized that it could potentially even be 
like ulceration of the intestinal tract. So if your horse is normally kept indoors and just goes out to pasture a couple hours a day and is prone to stomach ulcers and isn't vaccinated, then that could potentially open them up to catching tetanus as well. So I thought that was just really kind of eye-opening because it's not just about when they get injured. They And it's they could easily cause an abrasion in their mouth if they're eating roughage. So it's something definitely we need to get on top of. But even more notably, so it was about 73% mortality rate overall of these 70 horses but they found that in foals, if they're under a year old, it's 90% mortality. And in particular, they found this, well, they kind of linked that maybe this was also due to them having no improper immunity. So the mayor was never vaccinated. So the foal never stood a chance because the foal didn't even pick up some form of antigen or immunity from the mayor's colostrum. So it's really important that we're vaccinating uh, breeding mares, but mares in general and our geldings, all horses are susceptible and none of the 70 horses in this study were vaccinated. Yeah. And then also that's why during um, your brood mares pregnancy, you always give a tetanus booster like four to six weeks before foaling. And then you probably have, um, you know, there's a better, what is it, Kate, passive immunity that is passed to that foal then. And so it's so important because it was 100% mortality in those neonatal foals. And that's just awful. And then um, just the symptoms of tetanus and the incubation periods, how it differed amongst horses. So some with 20 days went by before they exhibited any signs. So the fact that it's so variable on that, um, the symptoms, because I think it's imperative if you haven't had a tetanus vaccine that you get early care, and then that doesn't even guarantee um, that your horse will survive it. So it's not worth taking that risk. But um, one of the first signs is that um, hyperesthesia or that hypersensitivity where everything, all their senses are like on overdrive and high reactivity. And then like Kate said, the the limb spasticity and the muscle stiffness and spasms. And then eventually, I think later on that lockjaw, um, which is another term for tetanus, sets in where they can't even sip water. And then their third eyelid kind of prolapses. And um, eventually, I think their heart just gives out, isn't it, Kate, where uh, the tachycardia and all the stresses their Mm -hmm. system just kind of shuts down. And um, they always say in the later stages, their ears are erect and can never relax as well as their tail. So I think it's just that stiffness, that muscle stiffness that, you know, just sets in. It's just horrible. And the fact that we can prevent this with the vaccination, I just uh, don't worry about over-vaccinating when it comes to this. And that 
fatal course of illness will occur within five to 10 days of those clinical signs. Mm -hmm. So Nancy's mentioned, and some are obviously on the more extreme end. And at that point, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're unlucky enough to come to them at the more extreme ends of the clinical signs, then they wouldn't have days left. Um, and it can be a very, a very difficult thing in veterinary practice. And this, I understand people have different opinions when it comes to vaccination with dogs and cats, but there's nothing more disheartening than an animal coming in and they are like so systemically ill over something that was so preventable. And um, it really, it, it's just, it's one of the tougher things in practice, definitely. So seeing it is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's devastating, especially in these cases, because their survival is so poor. It is really intensive care when they come into the hospital, if they have a chance of survival. But as Nancy said, like they can get that lock jaw, they're not able to drink. So they need to be on IV fluid therapy, or they need to be stomach tubed fluids. Um, and that can be done. So when we say stomach tubing in horses, the tube is actually passed up the nose. It's a nasogastric tube. So we don't need to open that mouth to get it in because I know that confuses some people when you talk about lockjaw and managing to stomach tube. But um, it is it is just waiting to see a lot of the time. Like you you do all you can and you tick all the boxes you can. You give the antitoxin. Um, we give antibiotics and just the best support of care we can. And it's individual then whether they manage to pull through or not. But some of the horses, um, so that incubation period you mentioned, Nancy, was somewhere between 7 to 21 days. Mm -hmm. But there are occasional horses that months, months after being exposed to the tetanus will suddenly have the full-blown infection and not have shown clinical signs previous to that. Yep, and there's also a recent paper where a donkey kept getting repeated attacks of tetanus. So he survived the initial, um, I guess, occurrence of it. And then it came back months later, and they had to treat him again. So, you know, um, and he has, had also did not have a vaccination history. I think the bottom line that this um, first off the book just devastated me when one of the horses succumbed to tetanus and it was due to negligence on a farrier so there was a hoof wound and he did not think the horse needed a tetanus um toxoid is what they called it in the 50s and um you know just give it to be safe and i can tell you any wound a horse gets on the racetrack, we give a tetanus booster just to be safe. And you cannot be um, too observant in cleaning wounds. When your horse is out in the mud, especially, and gets maybe a, a scrape or a scratch, you don't think it's a big deal, just keep it clean. Take him in, wash his legs or her legs, and, and take good care of that because it's uh, being educated in aseptic techniques, um, you know, that I think kind of even um, helps, 
even though the horse may be vaccinated, don't take that for granted. You know, just go ahead and continue to be observant, especially when there's cuts and scrapes. And your vet will give a booster before surgery anyway. And, um, you know, it makes me wonder about dental cleanings. Sometimes they scrape a gum or whatever. So uh, you really want to make sure to have your horses up to date on their vaccines before you have anything like that done. As well, just a little side note, when it comes to wounds and cleaning wounds in horses, water, water is key. Mm -hmm. You cannot do I mean you can use solutions that are better than water but they're not something you'll have over the counter don't go fancy and try and mix different things with it you don't even need to make salt mixes if it's a leg wound running a hose on it is one of the best things you can do we always have this like little rhyme that we use with students and it's dilution is the solution to pollution yeah so you just you hose that wound down and they've done studies on it. And even in small animal with like dogs or cats that have been hit by cars and they have those nasty like um, gravel rash road wounds where it's all little bits of gravel in it. We would run those under a tap. So we'd sedate the animal and give them pain relief and then just get running, clean running water over that for a couple of minutes. And that's the best first step you can do. So don't try and put fancy things on horse wounds, especially because we, I think we've all at some point encountered proud flesh and how difficult that can be from a healing point of view. Absolutely. Where that tissue just goes yep. out of control. Yep. And also, um, you know, check your vaccination status. Um, use a septic technique um, and do what Kate says as far as the, uh, you know, running water over a wound and just being aware that your horse has a wound and treated appropriately um, will help. And then, um, you know, I think that's basically all I had to say and read the book, The Ride of Her Life. It's really, really made me think. And it's just a great read. And what courage this woman had. And that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I can't wait to read it. We'll have to do a review, uh, like a mini book review at some point of it too. Change. I would have never read the book because I'm not really a trail rider or an endurance rider. And, you know, I, I don't know. It wasn't one that I normally would have picked up. So I want thanks to Rosie, because if she wouldn't have made sure there was a copy in my hand, I might not have opened the book to read. <laughs> I, have, I have like a pile of reading every week, but oh my God, I'm so glad I did. I won't look at, um, you know, life the same way. It This woman's one decision and one dream and the fact that she set off on that dream changed the, the outcome of her whole life. And she was with her horse, her dog, and herself. And those three set out together. And it, it's good the way they all uh, worked well together and became a team. So anyway, well, that's all I had this week, Kate. 
Do you have a link for the book, Nancy? You know what? I will get a link and put it on our homepage. Um, it's a great book. And, uh, you know, I think you could probably get it on Amazon, uh, any bookseller. But I'll try and come up with the um, Amazon link to the book so we can put it on our homepage. Perfect. And then did you have any other shout outs or was that it for this week? Oh, no, just Rosie, because I wouldn't even thought twice about tetanus. I mean, I vaccinate. I do the protocol. If there's a wound, um, you know, I would have never investigated it because it, it really is devastating when you're reading the book and you come across tetanus. And I thought I, you know, I didn't know that much about it. I took it for granted that, you know, like polio, you vac you get vaccinated and you don't really worry about it. But um, there's still a lot of horses in the world that succumb to tetanus because they don't get vaccinated for it or they don't keep revaccination attempts up. Brilliant. That's everything I had for this week then as well. And um, Nancy had said before we started, and I just thought it was a nice one-liner to end this on, but she had made a comment when we were having our little pre-recording chat and said, if we could just encourage one person who doesn't vaccinate with tetanus to get their horse vaccinated, then we will be happy that we have a job well done <laughs> at the end of the day. So if this has changed your opinion, if you have decided to now vaccinate against tetanus or even you've let it lapse and you weren't worried about it and you're going to get your horse vaccinated again, then do please drop us a message. And even, which would be even better, but I won't ask too much of you, <laughs> is if you could pop onto the survey because that's actually one of the questions in our survey is if something within an episode has spurred you to kind of change the way you do things. So if that is the case for you, we'd really appreciate it. If you could go on our social media, we've got the link to the survey there and it's open um, for another little while. And thank you to everyone again in this last week who has completed the survey for us. We really appreciate your responses. Wonderful. Good bridge, Kate. We're, you know what? We might be getting on to this after two years. <laughs> yeah, we would hope we'd improve. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.